Selections from the Dolorous Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ From the Visions of Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich Continuing Chapter 3 Jesus is Arrested The archers, who now proceeded to pinion Jesus with the greatest brutality, were pagans of the lowest distraction. They tied his hands as tightly as possible with hard new cords, fastening the right-hand wrist under the left elbow and the left-hand wrist under the right elbow. They encircled his waist with a species of belt studded with iron points and bound his hands to it with bands, while on his neck they put a collar covered with iron points, and to this collar were appended two leathern straps, which were crossed over his chest like a stole and fastened to the belt. They then fastened four ropes to different parts of the belt, and by means of these ropes dragged our blessed Lord from side to side in the most cruel manner. The ropes were new. I think they were purchased when the Pharisees first determined to arrest Jesus. The Pharisees lighted fresh torches, and the procession started. Ten soldiers walked in front. The archers who held the ropes and dragged Jesus along followed, and the Pharisees and ten other soldiers brought up the rear. The disciples wandered about at a distance, and wept and moaned, as if beside themselves with grief. John alone followed, and walked at no great distance from the soldiers, until the Pharisees, seeing him, ordered the guards to arrest him. They endeavored to obey, but he ran away, leaving in their hands a cloth with which he was covered, and of which they had taken hold when they endeavored to seize him. He had slipped off his coat, that he might escape more easily from the hands of his enemies, and kept nothing on but a short undergarment without sleeves, and the long band which the Jews usually wore, and which was wrapped round his neck, head, and arms. The archers behaved in the most cruel manner to Jesus as they led him along. This they did to curry favor with the six Pharisees, who they well knew perfectly hated and detested our Lord. They led him along the roughest road they could select, over the sharpest stones, and through the thickest mire. They pulled the cords as tightly as possible. They struck him with knotted cords, as a butcher would strike a beast he is about to slaughter. They accompanied this cruel treatment with such ignoble and indecent insults that I cannot recount them. The feet of Jesus were bare. He wore, besides the ordinary dress, a seamless woolen garment and a cloak which was thrown over all. I have forgotten to state that when Jesus was arrested, it was done without any order being presented or legal ceremony taking place. He was treated as a person without the pale of the law. The procession proceeded at a good pace. When they left the road which runs between the Garden of Olives and that of Gethsemane, they turned to the right and soon reached a bridge which was thrown over the torrent of Kedron. When Jesus went to the Garden of Olives with the apostles, he did not cross this bridge, but went by a private path which ran through the valley of Josaphat, and led to another bridge more to the south. The bridge over which the soldiers led Jesus was long, being thrown over not only the torrent, which was very large in this part, but likewise over the valley, which extends a considerable distance to the right and to the left, and is much lower than the bed of the river. I saw our Lord fall twice before he reached the bridge, and these falls were caused entirely by the barbarous manner in which the soldiers dragged him. 
But then when they were halfway over the bridge, they gave full vent to their brutal inclinations and struck Jesus with such violence that they threw him off the bridge into the water and scornfully recommended him to quench his thirst there. If God had not preserved him, he must have been killed by this fall. He fell first on his knee and then on his face, but saved himself a little by stretching out his hands, which, although so tightly bound before, were loosened. I know not whether by miracle or whether the soldiers had cut the cords before they threw him into the water. The marks of his feet, his elbows and his fingers were miraculously impressed on the rock on which he fell, and these impressions were afterwards shown for the veneration of Christians. These stones were less hard than the unbelieving hearts of the wicked men who surrounded Jesus and bore witness to this terrible, at this terrible moment to the divine power which had touched them. I had not seen Jesus take anything to quench the thirst which had consumed him ever since his agony in the garden, but he drank when he fell into the Kedron, and I heard him repeat these words from the prophetic psalm, In his thirst he will drink water from the torrent. The archers still held the ends of the ropes with which Jesus was bound, but it would have been difficult to drag him out of the water on that side on account of a wall which was built on the shore. They turned back and dragged him quite through the Kedron to the shore and then made him cross the bridge a second time, accompanying their every action with insults, blasphemies, and blows. His long woolen garment, which was quite soaked through, adhered to his legs, impeded every movement, and rendered it almost impossible for him to walk. And when he reached the end of the bridge, he fell down. They pulled him up again in the most cruel manner, struck him with cords, and fastened the ends of his wet garment to the belt, abusing him at the same time in the most cowardly manner. It was not quite midnight when I saw the four archers inhumanly dragging Jesus over a narrow path which was choked up with stones, fragments of rock, thistles and thorns, on the opposite shore of the Kedron. The six brutal Pharisees walked as close to our Lord as they could, struck him constantly with thick-pointed sticks, and seeing that his bare and bleeding feet were torn by the stones and briars, exclaimed scornfully, His precursor John the Baptist has certainly not prepared a good path for him here. Or, the words of Malachi, Behold, I send my angel before thy face to prepare the way before thee, do not exactly apply now. Every jest uttered by these men incited the archers to greater cruelty. The enemies of Jesus remarked that several persons made their appearance in the distance. They were only disciples who had assembled when they heard that their master was arrested and who were anxious to discover what the end would be. But the sight of them rendered the Pharisees uneasy, lest any attempt should be made to rescue Jesus, and they therefore sent for a reinforcement of soldiers. At a very short distance from an entrance opposite to the south side of the temple, which leads through a little village called Ophel to Mount Zion, where the residences of Annas and Caiaphas were situated, I saw a band of about fifty soldiers, who carried torches and appeared ready for anything. The demeanor of these men was outrageous, 
and they gave loud shouts, both to announce their arrival and to congratulate their comrades upon the success of the expedition. This caused a slight confusion among the soldiers who were leading Jesus, and Malchus and a few others took advantage of it to depart and fly towards Mount Olivet. When the fresh band of soldiers left Ophel, I saw those disciples who had gathered together disperse. Some went one way and some another. The Blessed Virgin and about nine of the holy women, being filled with anxiety, directed their steps towards the valley of Josephat, accompanied by Lazarus, John the son of Mark, the son of Veronica, and the son of Simon. The last named was at Gethsemane with Nathaniel and the eight apostles, and had fled when the soldiers appeared. He was giving the Blessed Virgin the account of all that had been done, when the fresh band of soldiers joined those who were leading Jesus, and she then heard their tumultuous vociferations and saw the light of the torches they carried. This sight quite overcame her, and John took her into the house of Mary, the mother of Mark. The fifty soldiers who were sent to join those who had taken Jesus were a detachment from a company of three hundred men posted to guard the gates and environs of Ophel. For the traitor Judas had reminded the high priests that the inhabitants of Ophel, who were principally of the laboring class, and whose chief employment was to bring water and wood to the temple, were the most attached partisans of Jesus, and might perhaps make some attempts to rescue him. The traitor was aware that Jesus had both consoled, instructed, assisted, and cured the diseases of many of these poor workmen, and that Ophel was the place where he halted during his journey from Bethania to Hebron, when John the Baptist had just been executed. Judas also knew that Jesus had cured many of the Masons who were injured by the fall of the Tower of Silo. The greatest part of the inhabitants of Ophel were converted after the death of our Lord and joined the first Christian community that was formed after Pentecost. And when the Christians separated from the Jews and erected new dwellings, they placed their huts and tents in the valley which is situated between Mount Olivet and Ophel, and there St. Stephen lived. Ophel was on a hill to the south of the temple, surrounded by walls, and its inhabitants were very poor. The slumbers of the good inhabitants of Ophel were disturbed by the noise of the soldiers. They came out of their houses and ran to the entrance of the village to ask the cause of the uproar. But the soldiers received them roughly, ordered them to return home, and in reply to their numerous questions, said, we have just arrested Jesus, your false prophet, he who has deceived you so grossly. The high priests are about to judge him, and he will be crucified. Cries and lamentations arose on all sides. The poor women and children ran back and forth, weeping and wringing their hands, and calling to mind all the benefits they had received from our Lord. They cast themselves on their knees to implore the protection of heaven. But the soldiers pushed them on one side, struck them, obliged them to return to their houses, and exclaimed, What further proof is required? Does not the conduct of these persons show plainly that the Galilean incites rebellion? They were, however, a little cautious in their expressions and demeanor, for fear of causing an insurrection in Ophel, 
and therefore only endeavored to drive the inhabitants away from those parts of the village which Jesus was obliged to cross. This has been taken from The Dolorous Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ, from the Visions of Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich, published by Tan Books. For more information, call 1-800-437-5876 or find them on the web at www.tanbooks.com. This work is in the public domain. This has been Christian Classics with Teresa Hofer. Listen every Monday through Friday at this time as Teresa continues her great readings and selections from classic Christian literature right here on the Ave Maria Radio Network. News and talk for Catholic and other Christians.